can, uh, because I forgot earlier, but I do not ever want to forget our guests who are here on a Sunday morning. Real quickly, could I have you just raise your hand or maybe the person who brought you? We'd like to just give you a gift real quickly. Raise your hand right up here to my left. Anyone else? We never want to forget welcoming our guests. We're so glad that you're here. Everything in the gift bag, please take with you. Ephesians chapter 4 in our Bibles this morning as we conclude our service uh, together in Scripture. Um, if you have a moment to take the pen inside that gift bag and fill out the guest card, we'd love it. You can put that in the chair in front of you or give that to Pastor Mike as you leave out the door and to the left. And greet some folks maybe. Take a beverage with you to your car. Uh, we also have Bibles to follow along with this morning, so... Lift your hands up if you need those. Tonight, about 100 million people at 6 o'clock are going to gather with friends and family to watch an event. Sociologists will tell us and have told us throughout the year that when people gather together, there's something going on that's actually bigger than the event itself. Humans need to be together, and they need to celebrate something bigger than themselves. That's what sociologists tell us. The director of, or really the CEO of Disney Imagineering was asked this question. What is the meaning of Disney parks? How'd you like to sum up that question? He answered this. The meaning is so that people can gather together and know that everything is going to be okay. In 2011, you may remember this, a horrible earthquake strikes off the coast of Japan, tremendous destruction ensues, including a horrific tsunami that took over 22,000 lives and 2,500 of those lives are still missing. Out of respect, for those families who were grieving, Disneyland Tokyo shut down. But the director of Disneyland Tokyo began to solve a phenomenon, he called it, of a mourning nation showing up at the gates of Disneyland, wanting to get in. And he said, every morning, the crowds grew greater and greater outside the gates. And their conclusion was, with the okay from the government, that they would open up the gates because the Japanese culture, as he says, is a tough culture. We're, we're taught to just suck it up and make it in our culture. We're supposed to make it through hard times all by ourselves. He said, but this tragedy was different. We couldn't do it. And people wanted to gather together just to get into a park where everything would be okay. And he quotes, he says this, we had to open the gates so the nation would heal. Isn't that amazing? It's just an amusement park. God's created us to be together. 
Remember last week? If you weren't able to be here with us last week, I'd ask you to go back. We're not going to review all the theological underpinnings of being made in God's image and what that means innately in our nature, the desire to be together, to mourn together, to rejoice together, and to do something together that's big, bigger than all of us, put together. If the world, a hundred million strong, can sit down for four hours and watch a football game, if a nation, million strong, can gather at the gates of an amusement park, and understand the value of gathering together, and we certainly wouldn't criticize either opportunity to get together. How much more do we understand spiritually the nature of being together as God's people in Jesus Christ? How much more easy, should I say, is it for us to prepare to be together to enjoy being together with a biblical integrity that we began to examine last week. Where we all understand and enjoy our perfect position in Jesus Christ. But we also enjoy being governed by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, dispositionally as we invest in one another when we are together. Folks, this is why, one of the reasons I said at the beginning, this truly is the greatest day of any week for me throughout the whole year. But I will tell you there was a time in my life where that wasn't the case. There's a lot of people that don't go to church anymore because they got burnt by church. I get that. Maybe their pastor or their priest disappointed them. Maybe they got sick and tired of people just showing up at a building, going through some motions and then heading home as empty as they came. Maybe they did go to a church that preached the gospel and there were saved people there, but, but the pastor never took the scriptures and kind of walked the congregation through beyond the nature of unity. Maybe he was able to say, well, we're together in Christ because of the gospel, but he never taught them how to maintenance that unity. He never taught them the value of that unity and therefore the desire to maintenance the beauty, the beauty of that unity. I don't know. But for years I could tell you that as a youth and probably even as a young adult, it was something that I knew I needed to do. It was a spiritual obligation. When I was finished, I certainly always felt better than when I came. There was nothing wrong with that. But for me to be able to say exclusively that this is the highlight of my week, <laughs> to be with God's people, I couldn't say that, but I can now by God's grace. There's really no greater thing, <laughs> no greater opportunity than to be with several hundred miracles of God's grace and dwelt by the divine Holy Spirit of God who are working out together what it means to grow more and more to be like the Savior who indwells them. And then to praise God like we've done this morning around this table, now in his word, and doing this together. In that environment, and we're going to talk more about it tonight and again the next time we're together, in that environment that's governed by the Spirit, 
People are free to weep there. People are free to rejoice there. People are free to be themselves in Christ there. People don't go to church. They gather together with a people in Christ, governed by the Spirit of God, to present themselves many as one to the Creator that's worthy to receive our worship. And as a result of doing that together, we're able to entice one another to love and good deeds and strengthen our bond in Christ. In that environment, no one walks into the building saying, oh wow, I'm not right with that person, that person offended me, that person's got issues, I'm going to sit over here, they're going to be over here, that pastor, I don't know, I could ever forgive what he said to me or did to me or whatever. In that environment, those kind of things just don't exist. It's not a spiritual utopia of perfection. <laughs> We're all broken human beings still. But God's grace in Christ, governed by the Spirit, compels, could I say thrusts our hearts above all of that to someone much greater, the divine one. And long before we look around, collectively we look up. Consider him, who we are in him, and then and only then can we really look around and understand what it means to be together and long for that to the point where we cannot live without that. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, I was at the, I was in Madison, Wisconsin yesterday for my son's basketball game. I think maybe, I can't tell you how many, I just don't talk about my kids and athletics in the pulpit. And I'm not here to talk about that now. I'm here to talk about something a little bit bigger than that. A basketball team had a kid walk away from the team this week for whatever reason. He walked away. Second leading scorer. Um, back in May, the assistant coach, a born-again man, was on his way to Ann Arbor, Michigan to see his wife's family, and they were struck by a drunk driver, a girl that was um, a bartender, uh, was coming home from work, a 22-year-old girl driving on the other side of the road, and struck them head-on, and he lost his wife, and and lost his 10-year-old daughter. That's, that's back in the May. There were other things going on that were bigger than any of them uh, throughout the rest of the summer and into the fall. And then uh, this player gets up and leaves, and then they have another player suspended for a game, and this team's playing the number 14 team in the country yesterday. The bottom line is it doesn't, they won. Wisconsin won. The presser after the game, it was interesting to me in the press conference to hear what the opposing coach that Wisconsin beat speak. He said, let me tell you why that team won today. They all came together and they played for something and someone bigger than themselves as individuals. Amen. He goes, that's why we got kicked today. And I saw that and I thought wow I said like even people that may not know Jesus get this nothing else really matters people that have hurt you people that have wounded you and how much more right how much
much more the people of God who in Christ all wounds, all scars have been healed. We've been brought together and dwelt by the Spirit of God, governed by the Spirit of God. And we know that by the words that Paul is outlining here for us. How much more us, when we gather together, we get to come. There were 18,000 people strong at that game yesterday cheering like fanatics, right? They're fans when they did the big upset. And I'm thinking, standing there after the game, listening to all this, wow, this is powerful. How much more, right? The people of God. Amen. And let me tell you something. The devil doesn't have his crosshairs on fanatics who live their lives to win games. But he'll have his crosshairs on believers so that they don't enjoy coming together and interdependently investing themselves in this kind of unity, in this kind of togetherness for something much bigger than all of us, much bigger than an upset win on a national televised game. This is about the gospel. This is about you knowing Jesus Christ. This is about your family knowing Jesus Christ. This is about our community knowing Jesus Christ. This is about our state, our country, and our world knowing Jesus Christ. Because eternity is a long, long time. Right? A long, long time. So Paul says here in Ephesians 4, I'll direct your attention here again to verse 1 that we began to consider last week. He says, Therefore... And he is spiritually a prisoner. He's been held captive by the Lord. He is the prisoner of the Lord now. He's been saved. The Lord owns him. He practically, obviously, was experiencing prison too because he preached the gospel. But he was first a prisoner of the Lord. We discussed last week when he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And then he goes on here to outline uh, what that looks like. He says here, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. With all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. I want you to underline that phrase if you believe in marking in your Bibles, or maybe you can with your finger digitally on your screen. There's two main, what we would call grammatically participles here in this text. And they're really juxtaposed here at the end of verse number two and the beginning of verse number three. Showing tolerance for one another in love, that's one. And then the next one that we'll get to the next time we're together is being diligent to preserve the unity. Being diligent to preserve the unity. So when he steps out here and he says, I implore you, that's really the main subject and verb. We looked at that last week. I implore you to walk. And then he describes that walk that we enjoy as people that have been called out of the world by the Spirit of God, placed into Christ, right? In the past, with the emphasis here, which you have been called with the emphasis on today. You walk today in this worthy matter and then he's going to dispositionally show us how to do that with all humility. We looked at that last week, that word humility. So we'll move on. And he says here, secondly, with all gentleness. 
This word gentleness in the original language is really the word meek or meekness in adjectival form. It's meek as an adjective. In the Old Testament, this would have been described by the poor person, as we mentioned last week, who in their deep need cries out for help. I was always somewhat left a little bit empty when I would hear meekness as a child explained this power under control. Let me use a couple illustrations and a couple Bible texts, I think, to really help us grasp what this disposition of meekness is. When I was a kid, we had a tall, I mean, just a massive weeping willow tree. I don't know if, you've, if there's much of those around anymore, but I haven't seen one in a long time. They don't, they're very, anyway, it doesn't matter. We, we had two, we had a huge tree, and it, and it was huge at the bottom. It had two huge trunks growing out of this one trunk at the bottom, so we decided to build a tree fort, right, on posts in between those two huge trunks. And it was, we did a great job. I mean, I have to say, for our first building project, I mean, uh, we would uh, take our bikes and, and we would go around the construction sites and, and we would find construction materials that had been dumped in construction dumpsters that builders weren't going to use anymore. So we got siding and we got shingles. We got tar paper for the roof. Um, we tried the gutter thing. It didn't work out so well, so we ditched the gutters. So uh, we tried to run electricity to it. That's another conversation. <laughs> Doesn't really matter really nice sturdy ladder and we would sleep up there our parents would just let us have friends over we'd have sleepovers up there it was just it was awesome my brother and I were up there one day and I was turning around to back down the ladder and my my foot missed one of the rungs on the ladder and I was it's a long way down this is at least probably 15 20 feet down and thankfully my brother was at the the door of the tree fort and he saw I was falling, and then what's the natural reaction, right? Just reach out and reach down, boom, right? And his stability helped me get my footing on the rung of the ladder. So my impulse to reach up for help and to be helped and to, begin, and to regain my footing, that's the idea of meekness here. It's I'm in trouble. And I'm expressing to my brother complete and total dependence. Boom. My power to live resides in somebody else. As far as I understand it, that's how these people in the first century would have understood what it means to be together with meekness or gentleness. We are all independently dependent on God as our source for help but since Christ has imputed us with his righteousness we can therefore secondarily demonstrate meekness by showing our dependence on Christ in one another I can't do this without you now just stop for a second do you believe that I mean can you don't answer out loud just ask yourself, 
How long have you been living the Christian life, going through the motions of even going to church with other people, but not coming to that type of disposition, that type of reality where I really can't do this without you? Okay? Jesus, obviously, right, is the meekest of all time. Would you agree with me that there was no one in history more dependent on the Father than our Savior? Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus was able to say, right? You'll find meekness in me. I am meek and lowly in heart. I know what it means to be, by my nature, dependent on my superior, my Father. Now come and learn of me. What it means for you to be dependent on my Father. And then again, together as a family, right? In Christ. We're dependent on Christ in each other. We can't live without each other. As a matter of fact, those who for some unfortunate reason or another never come to this realization that they absolutely have to have others in Christ in a local community. Really, really never come to the place of understanding the joy of their salvation. Positionally they do, right? Because this is like the farthest thing from a performance thing. But practically, Jesus himself, the God-man, dependent on the Father, also demonstrated his dependence on his disciples. He could not live even in his darkest hours as the God-man without other people who had trusted him as their Lord and Savior. That's Matthew 26 and many other texts. Jesus is our example as humanity of what meekness really is. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Verses 1 through 3 says, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. In other words, when I'm face to face with me, you, you don't find me trusting in myself. When I'm face to face with you, I'm meek. I am, I am the one that's known among you as not trusting myself. Don't look at me. I'm the one demonstrating to you what it means to be dependent on the Father. Right. He goes on to say, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us. As if we walked according to the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The Bible describes serving with meekness in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. The Bible says that when we fall into various trials and temptations, and he's in as God's people if we get stuck in a sin for a little bit. The Bible says it's with meekness and gentleness that we come and we speak to one another to help each other with meekness and gentleness 
pull the other out of the ditch. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, when we do that, we are fulfilling the very law of Christ. So even if it's someone that is mentoring us or, or we're mentoring them and we see them fall into a sin and they're stuck, it's with meekness that we go to them. And what's meekness? Lord, I cannot change that person. <laughs> so I am not going to throw myself at that person. I can't do it. What is meekness? It's not. It's much more than power under control. It's the expression it's the verbalization, if you will. It's, I can't do this, but I'm completely dependent on my Jesus and my God who can do this. Amen. It's nothing of me. It's all of them. Now, because of that, I'm sure that you can be helped out of your ditch. And God might use me as a vessel that can help you too. So meekness is when we serve, when we are busying ourselves about being a family, whether ushering or sound or choir or valet or, or nursery or whatever you do to serve here. We serve in meekness, completely dependent on another, above us and then around us, above us first. And then we handle each other's sin issues with the same disposition. Because why? Well, Galatians 5.23 says that when we've been baptized by the Spirit into Jesus Christ and now we live our lives governed by the Spirit, it certainly is one of the fruits of the Spirit. This is just what we become known for and by. I can't do this, but God can. And I can't do this by myself, but with you, we can. Right? We can. And we should. And I would say for the majority of us, and we are. And we are. The next word here, as we've already considered humility and gentleness, it says here with patience. With patience. I'm going to read to you three different authors' definition of this word patience, and then we'll sum it up. And we'll move on. I'm going to do this and I'm going to share the weakest definition first, okay? And we're going to crescendo to what I think is the most biblical way to explain this word. One author said this, and I scratched my head when I didn't itch. He says, the word patience here just simply means that you're able to take what people dish out. We'll move on. <laughs> the next author I read, it just simply means broadly your ability to accept God's plan for you, whether it includes grief or joy. A little warmer. The next author said this, it's the ability to express love with room for failure. Express love with room for failure. And now I think we're getting warmer. This is the Greek word in the New Testament that's used to describe not making it through a hardship, not journeying through a trial, 
This is the Greek word that just simply means patience with people. So understanding this is a word that means patience with people, that third definition really helps me, right? It's I'm able to enjoy this togetherness with law, with humility, with gentleness, with dependence, right? And then I'm able to enjoy it with patience. We must be together. So since we must be together by the nature of God in our conversion, then we're able to enjoy being together by leaving a little room for failure in each other while still loving each other. How many of you people enjoy that? How many of you enjoy that week to week and day to day in your own home? Let alone in our church family, right? Patience. Because we have to have together. And since we are together and since we know we're still sinners, there's got to be a little room for failure with the understanding, with the presumption, the presumption that we'll never stop loving while we endure through each other's failures. In the margin of my Bible here, I have 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, a text that I often quote to you guys. There's three kinds of people that are always going to be in the church, but we understand spiritual togetherness. Our ultimate bond is in Jesus first, but it's practically maintenance by realizing there's always going to be the strong, there's always going to be the weak, and there's always going to be the unruly. Okay, And then Paul says at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, make sure that you are patient with all three. Make sure you leave a little, a little margin in your heart for even the strong to fail, let alone the weak and the unruly. Leave a little margin in there. Because all three are going to fail. He goes on to say, showing tolerance for one another in love. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, I told you this was the first of two major participles following the main subject and verb of this paragraph. And we'll wrap up here today, okay? Showing tolerance for one another in love. And folks, this is like, this is deep and wide powerful, right? This isn't a mile wide and inch deep powerful. Like, this is deep and wide. It gets, yeah, this is really good. God's word is amazing. The word tolerance here just simply means something bearable in its most elementary definition. Something we're able to carry. And something, as we carry it over time, becomes easier to carry. So, like, if you do exercises in your family room just using your body weight, right? So if you just, like, do planking. You know what planking is, right? If you're just doing planking and you're in your first couple days of planking, just holding yourselves up by your own body weight, that can be like miserably hard, right? You get into week two, three, four, five, right? And even at your age, you're thinking, wow, I can't believe how easy this is getting, So then you actually feel like you can go to a gym and lift other than your body weight. It just gets easier the more you carry it. So the understanding is there's always going to be various kinds of weights that we bear up under. 
but by grace in Christ and together those weights over time when we exercise well become easier to bear. This is how I understand this. That's why he says here, showing tolerance for one another in love. Obviously, we're going to crescendo to in love. It's all underpinned there. But this is something that we're doing together. Something bearable, something we're able to carry, something easier to carry over time. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, this is another way I can kind of describe this. Before you get out, we used to take the youth group down to the Yogahaney River, Ohio Pile. Were you guys ever part of that years ago? That insane decision that youth pastors should never make. Take your youth group whitewater rafting. I don't know what was more insane. Me with the idea or the parents actually letting me take their kids whitewater rafting. That was nuts. Poor Pastor Steve, when he became youth pastor, I just like nixed him from ever doing that. And I'm sure I took one of his main youth events out of the calendar. Yeah, yeah, I know you did. Thank God we're all alive. But right, remember we used to sit on the shore and the instructor would come. Every boat had an instructor, right? But there was a chief instructor over all the boat instructors. And they went through all the what to do's and what not to do's. They went through different kinds of rapids. Ohio Pile, I don't think, ever got above a, a level three rapid. But well, this is what you do. Every person in the boat, right, had a, had a job seated around the boat. And everyone's number one job was to listen to the guide in the back of the boat. But whether it be a one, two, or three level rapid, the, everyone's job stayed the same but just got more intense the bigger the rapid got. And we had gone one particular year when the rains had been high and the, and the river was, was raging as much as the old you know, that river, Yogahaney River could. And so everyone was kind of feeling the stress, right? So when you're going through that level three rapid and you're remembering if the boat tips, don't stand up, right? If the boat tips, don't try to stand up. If the boat tips, don't try to stand up, right? That's what they drill sit down, don't stand up, sit down, don't stand up. So everyone's going through this in their brains, but so the boat doesn't tip, everyone's doing their part, listening to the guide to make sure we don't tip. And as a youth pastor, at this point, I'm doing my job to I can stay alive so that my youth group doesn't die so I can have a job when I go back home because I love these kids and their families and this is crazy to me. And again, I went through my story on repentance and, and before in group activities like that. But I got to thinking about, you know, together, you know, we got really, really good as the farther we went down the river of bearing up underneath the weight of getting through these rapids because we would listen to our guide and then we would talk to each other and everyone was doing their job. So by the end of that tour, (laughs) at the end of the rapids, You know, there's fewer times in your life where you have more camaraderie. And sometimes you would be put in a boat with people you didn't even know. You deeply get to know those people when you have to work that closely with them, right? Heavy weight, big responsibility, but together it gets easier as we go along. Again, because we're doing it together. My neighbor that passed away of pancreatic cancer, sweet friend of mine, He was a competitive sailor 
and he would walk me through videos of his boat in races. And he would talk to me about the value of his crew, right? And everyone having a job around that boat. Kind of the same story, right? And so when they're going around the course on Lake Erie, right? Everyone working symbiotically together in synergy with one another, making sure that uh, the, the mast is turned at the it needs to be to catch that wind, to catch that curve around that buoy, right? Everyone's a team. I'll tell you what, Scott told me before he passed away many, many times, he said, outside my wife, he said, that's my family. He said, we work so often and so tightly together in such intense and necessary environments in this race. He goes, that's my family. And you know what? When people would come over to his house, it'd be his sailing family. Right? He would go down to the Mentor Yacht Club often to be with that sailing family. And he loved his extended family as well. But they would, that was it. They were doing something bigger than themselves together regularly. All hands on deck. That's the idea here. And we do this for one another. It's doable. That's the point. So anytime a believer comes along completely exhausted and they're done with the Christian life and with the Christian family and they just kind of say, boom, I'm done. That's something that that's someone, bless their hearts, that really hasn't been experiencing this for like not a week or a month, but like for a long time. And it can happen to the most quality Christians. You've been on that precipice maybe yourself a couple times. But thank God, by God's grace, we don't have to stay there. None of us should be by God's grace, right? But you're going to stay there the longer you leave yourself on your own island. Okay? God's grace would have us build a bridge back to be with others, to make this journey on this earth tolerable and easier as we go along. Why? Because it's all done in love. In whose love? Not your love for your brother. Not the love of intimacy. That's not the bond here. It's the love of God. Jesus journeyed well. He's our example. In Christ, we should as well. And we can. And many of you are. And if you're struggling, having islandized yourself... Some of these words I use sometime, you will find in Webster someday. <laughs> if you've taken yourself as an individual a part of the whole because of what the whole you feel has done to you, then let's stop looking around and, and let's look up. Understand who God is by his nature, what he's intended you to be in Christ, and what he's intended your family and the church family to be in Christ. And let's do this, let's do this togetherness in humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance. Okay. All underpinned by the love that's not our own, except it comes in the form of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you. In this year of doing divine things together, help us to understand the nature the position and disposition of what it means to be together as a church family. I pray, Lord, that we would long by grace, not of our own volition, but by 
a will outside of ours that we own only in Jesus Christ. Help us to increase more and more in our love for one another as we desperately need one another in Christ to do and to pursue a goal that's collectively bigger than all of us put together. And that is the cause of Christ. Help me to understand the wisdom of what that looks like with my wife, Rhonda. How we live this out in our home with Caleb and Micah and Noah and Emma. How I live this with our sheep here. Just grant us all wisdom. And by your Spirit's help, a guttural, deep compulsion to know this kind of of togetherness for eternal purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.